you to rise to your feet once again. All right, Proverbs chapter 3. Let's read verses 5 and 6 before we go to the Lord in prayer today. It simply says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. The King, say, King James says He will direct your paths. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again this morning. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for being with us in this place this morning. We turn our attention fully and completely to your word. You've given us your word uh, for direction in our life. We recognize this morning that we are human and that our understanding is very limited. But today we lean upon you. I pray, God, that you would teach us by your spirit how to trust you. I mean, really trust you in a way, God, that you can change the entirety of the rest of our lives and might get glory out of us in the process. And we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. 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 You can be seated. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? With all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. I want to, my, the title of my message this morning is uh, uh, Trust is a Must. Everybody remember that? Yeah. Trust is a must. And it says don't lean on your own understanding. I want to make a point here this morning that when something is leaning, when something leaning, it is unstable. Correct? It's crooked. It's not straight. It's unstable. And will always fall. But if you lean something up against something that is stable, no matter how much you lean it, it'll stand. I believe that's the point that God is trying to make in this scripture is that we as human beings, in our own human understanding, are very unstable. We're weak and we're leaning. We're not straight. We're not right. But when we lean upon God, we understand and we acknowledge that God is a rock, God is a mountain. That God is stable, God does not move, and I can put my trust in Him. Now, this morning, it's kind of up to you. Uh, it's up to you as an individual whether or not this is just going to be another sermon uh, that you just kind of shove into the back of your mind when this service is over, uh, maybe forget about it, or whether or not this is a word that God can speak into your heart that can literally uh, change your entire outlook on life and actually help you to live your life the way God intended it. Amen? That's how important I feel like this is. And, and here's the thing. I guarantee every one of us, if we've been in church at any given time, at any, um, throughout our life, if we've been in church at all, we've heard, lot, we've heard sermons about trusting God. And I'll be quite honest with you, it is very easy to, to preach a sermon or teach a lesson about trusting God. It's easier, easy to read about it. It's easy to sing about it. But folks, the only times that we actually learn how to trust God is when, our, when everything in our life tanks at times or when we don't know what the next step of our life should be. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where our faith is tested. Please understand that if you're a Christian this morning, you have faith in Jesus Christ, your faith will be tested. Anything that's not tested can't be trusted, right? And so God tests our faith, and we are learning throughout this living process how to really truly trust in God. We can say it. We can say it, God, Lord, we trust you and we go forward, but are we really trusting God? I hope that I can get this across this morning the way that it has impacted me in my personal life, okay? You know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, you hear someone talk about trust issues, right? That person's got trust issues. What does that mean? It means they don't trust anybody, right? I mean, they have a hard time to trust, by the way. The definition of the word trust means to have a firm 
belief, what kind of a firm belief in the fact that somebody is reliable and strong. Having a firm belief that somebody is reliable. I can trust that person. And in, statistically, in our society today, people trust people less than ever before. Okay? And there's a reason for that in many cases because we, a lot of times the reason we don't trust people is because people have ripped us off or people have done us wrong. And so therefore we find it hard to trust people even who are trustworthy, right? And so with, with me, I, we, we, we kind of bring that into a relationship with God at times that when, when God doesn't act or answer a prayer or do something the way we've specifically asked him to do it, we can come to the conclusion if we're not careful that we can't trust God. Right. And my my issue, I'm learning, of course, I'm, I'm learning the same as you all are. And I, my thing is I, I trust God, but I don't always trust people. Right. And, but God wants us to trust one another. He wants us to be trustworthy. But most of all, God wants us to learn that we can fully and completely trust in him. Right. So a person's got trust issues are just kind of automatically skeptical and suspicious and guarded against everyone and everybody. I read an article that says when you're experiencing trust issues in a relationship, you cannot extend yourself or make yourself vulnerable, which is essential to a lasting, successful relationship. So, and I'm not talking about trusting people today so much as I'm talking about trusting God. We are in a relationship with God, are we not? Through Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God. He is our heavenly Father. And we, in order to trust somebody, you have to make yourself vulnerable to them. What does that mean? It means you have to make yourself weak. You have to put yourself out there. You have to put yourself at risk. But the thing about trusting God is you're never putting yourself at risk. He is the rock that we can always lean on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in other words, in every decision that you make, acknowledge God. Look to God and He will direct your path. God can be trusted. Amen? I believe that God wants to heal us as His people Today, again, not that this is just another sermon that rolls off of our back like water off a duck's back, but that going forward, we really learn how to do this. I've not, I've not mastered this, and I have prayed with all of my heart, and I guess that's probably where this sermon comes from, is just the prayer of my heart. God, teach me how to do this. God, all God has ever really wanted from his people was for them to trust him. That's really all he's ever really looked for, even, even more than us being sinless, Right? God never expected us to be sinless because he knows that we're human and we're going to sin. But I'll tell you this, when we learn to trust God in the proper manner, it does kind of take control and take, uh, it does uh, help with the whole sin issue. I like what um, Max Licato said. He said, when, when we get saved, we don't become sinless, but we will sin less. I like that, right? Because we learn to trust God and we learn to, and he begins to take care of the sin issue. But more than us being perfect and not sinning, God wants us to learn how to trust him. It's been like that from the beginning. And God, quite frankly, has never really found a people that would completely trust him. Might look his direction every now and again, tip their hat at him, call on him when they're in desperate need. But for people who would just take their entire life and say, God, I trust you with it. You imagine taking... Taking your baby that you love so much and that you've put so much into and giving it to another human being and saying, I completely trust you to take care of that baby. That's not an easy thing to do. That's ultimately what we're doing with our life. We're taking our entire life and we're handing it to God and God, we're saying, 
You, you make the decisions from now on. I completely trust you. It's not, not an easy thing to do, but it's what God is looking for from us. I believe it's possible. I believe that I want to be that way. I want to learn how to do this. I'm not saying I've figured it out. I've, I've, I've learned a little along the way, and I don't, I don't stress about things, some things that I used to. I've learned to trust God. God has always been faithful. But I want to do this thing completely right because I believe that it would absolutely revolutionize my life. I'm, I don't know about you. I'm sick of stress. I, I'm sick of worry and stress and anxiety and all of those things that just... To just keep us weighed down in our life, what would it be like if we really truly trusted God and lived in complete peace? You say, well, I don't think that's possible. We're human, and so we just naturally worry it's not possible. I, but I would disagree with that. I think that if it's not possible for us to come to a place of living in which we fully trust God and give, leave it all to Him, He would have never said as many times, especially as He said throughout His Word, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Throughout the entire Word, World, don't be afraid. Why? God is looking for a people who will completely trust Him. It's all He ever wanted. Um, God has never, since the beginning of time, I get this, I know this sounds like a real oversimplistic statement, but, but hear me out. God has never failed. Ever. Since the beginning of time. How many times have I questioned God, though? How many times have you questioned God? Felt like God maybe didn't hear me or that God failed me. Truth is, God has never, ever failed. God is 100% completely trustworthy. You say, all right, Dennis, well, what about the times that I've prayed and he didn't didn't come through for me? About the times that I trusted him to do this and and it just all fell apart, He, he didn't come through. Can you understand this morning again, when we think that way, we're leaning on our own understanding. I don't have to make any excuses for God. God doesn't need me to get up here and plead his case and try to uh, uh, explain to you why God did the things that he did. Here's the bottom line. Is that there's, oh, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer, right? There's, there's no, it doesn't exist. God answers our prayers sometimes immediately. Sometimes he does what we ask. Sometimes he does not for our own benefit. Sometimes there's a, there's a lot of things happening that God has to do to work. We don't know behind the scenes, but the bottom line is God is trustworthy enough to not answer your prayer if he sees that it's not in your best interest, right? And I get it, I get it. You know, maybe something, well, what's, what's so, what, what would not be in my, great, my interest if my my you know, loved one passes away or things of that nature. And again, we're looking at it from a human standpoint. Okay, many times we have a tendency as humans to pray amiss. That's what the scripture says, pray amiss. You know what that means? We just pray wrong, pray for the wrong things. Many times, not always, but sometimes we just, we pray for the wrong thing. We pray for the thing that benefits us. And God says, I know and realize that down the line, that's not going to benefit you the way you think it will. Prayer, here's, here's the, the revelation for me that birthed all this in my heart, I guess. Is that, here's how our prayer te- has a tendency to go. When we have a need, something rises up and we need God's attention on a, on a matter. We will usually pray, Lord, please do this. Lord, please do that. And we're making our need known to God and we're asking God to do it. Lord, please do this. Please do that. Please do this. Please do that. And we're doing that with limited understanding. But here's the way I, I feel like the scripture is teaching us to, to bring those needs is, is this. This is how we should ultimately be praying. Lord, I bring this need before you and I trust you to do what's best for me. See the difference? 
Lord, do this. Lord, please heal that body. Or Lord, please fix this. And Lord, please that. Please that. And then when it doesn't happen, we think, oh, God failed. No. God wants us to trust Him. How, how do you possibly instruct God? I mean, we do. We said, like, Lord, here's what needs to happen in order for all this to be better. How do you instruct the one who ignited the sun, who created the universe and everything in him? How can I, as a human being, possibly instruct God in a matter of prayer? Prayer is not us instructing God. It is us presenting ourselves to God and saying, Lord, I trust you to do what is in my best interest overall, with eternity in mind, I might add. So, and then, folks, here's the thing. If, those, if the results of that prayer seem, and I say seem with, you know, air quotations, because if they seem, if the results seem negative, meaning whatever took place causes me pain or causes me trouble or heartache, then what God wants us to do is to automatically think and trust God and say he knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. It it, it didn't work. This is not cool. This is negative. But God knows what he's doing, and I'm just going to trust him. That's what he wants from us. But we have a tendency to automatically jump to our knee-jerk reaction. Now, prayer just didn't work. God God failed. I can't trust God. I think that that hurts God's heart more than any of our sin does. Amen? I'm not making an excuse and and okay in our sins, obviously. But when we don't trust God, God, it hurts God. Imagine as as a father... If, if your child, you reach to grab your child's hand uh, to help them as they, they're learning to walk and they pull their hand away and say, no, I don't trust you, right? God said, I want you to learn how to trust me. And it's something that, start, you got to start somewhere. What are you in right now? What situation are you in right now that you absolutely don't know what to do? You're overcome with fear or doubt or confusion or whatever. Start right now. I'm, gonna, I'm making a bold statement to you this morning. This is not Dennis' word. I believe that God is extending his hand to say, if you'll trust me, I will bring you through it. Don't grade God based on how, based on how you observe the situation is going. Okay? We can't grade God. Well, God... God's the greater. Give it to God and leave it in his hands, okay? Um, So if you look into like, uh, you can turn over there if you want to, Mark chapter number 8. I'll get there in just a second. When you look at Jesus and his disciples throughout his entire ministry, three years Jesus spent with these men, okay? He handpicked them and he called them to be the, the men who would take on the message of the gospel once Jesus was gone. Three years he spent with these men, pouring into them his heart, his passion, his word, trying to get them and encourage them and convince them to just trust him. And they struggled with it, the same that you and I struggle with it. Can that encourage you just a little bit this morning that if you struggle with trust, to know that so did the disciples and Jesus handpicked them? It's the whole reason why Jesus took them out on a stormy boat ride. It's the whole reason. Do you understand that Jesus, we know the story. He's in the boat. The storm's everywhere and the boat's rocking. Everybody's scared. And Jesus said, peace be still and the, and the storm calm. So we, by, by knowing that Jesus had control over the storm, Jesus very simply at the shore could have said, storm, go away so that the, the, so that the boat ride would have been nice and smooth for the disciples. 
Jesus could have got rid of the storm ahead of time so that the disciples would never have to go through anything negative and scary. But Jesus, on purpose, took them out into the sea in a storm for one reason and one reason only. As the disciples, Jesus is asleep in the boat, and as the disciples are, are all upset and they're worried, the storm is, the lightning's cracking, waves coming in over the boat, and, and what Jesus wanted for them to say was, well, this is, a bad, this is a pretty bad storm, but, you know, Jesus is in the boat with us. I mean, Jesus is here, so we're, it's all good. What he wanted them to do was lay down in the boat and go to sleep with him. You know that there's a, we, we lay awake at night at times, we worry and we stress about things. And do you know that's the last thing God wants for us? He wants us to be able to lay down. I remember David in one psalm said, though I'm surrounded by 10,000 soldiers, uh, I'm going to lay down and sleep like a baby. I paraphrase that, but that's what he said. I'm going to lay down and go to sleep because I know that, that God's got my back. And that's what he wanted so desperately from the disciples that they would just lay down in the boat and go to sleep with him. Jesus has got it covered. Is that possible? I mean, can you think, does even the possibility of that type of a lifestyle, does that not lift your heart a little bit? Can I really get to a point where I literally don't worry about anything? I just simply say, I trust Jesus. That's what he wanted from them. What he got was, Lord, you don't care about us. Lord, do you not care that we're about to die? You let this negative thing happen in my life. And so therefore, here Jesus is in the boat and he's not stopped all this. He failed us. That's what they're accusing him of. Don't you even care about us? And Jesus responds to them, how is it that you don't have any faith? How is it after all I've done that you still worry about stuff? I think God's message to us today is still the same. Wouldn't you agree? I said, I've been so faithful and I'm so smarter. I'm smarter than you are. You're human, and you're still trying to direct my path. And God said, what I want you to do is acknowledge me so that I can direct your path. How is it? I've heard that in my spirit plenty of times. Have you? I don't have to have God speak in a big, booming, audible voice to know that God's speaking to me. There's been plenty of times where I've worried and stressed and feared only to have God in the still, small voice in my spirit say, Why, where is your faith, son? Trust me. Trust me. In the, in the 8th chapter of Mark, if you got there, uh, if you read down about the 13th verse, it says, He left them, in, uh, left them, got into a boat again, and went to the other side. Now they, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. He cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? And let me pause. Here's the bottom line. He had just got done talking with the Pharisees who were hypocrites. And so he's so frustrated with the Pharisees who were supposed to be all religious, but they, were, they weren't. They were hypocrites. And so he goes to the disciples. He said, look, guys, don't, what he's teaching them is don't be like that. He's talking about hypocrisy. Don't let, don't let hypocrisy get into your life. Be sincere. Be real. Be true. And so he says, beware of the leaven. You know what leaven is. It's yeast, right? And so a little bit of yeast that gets into a, a lump of dough will cause it to rise. A little bit of yeast goes a long way. And what he's saying is a little bit of hypocrisy can really destroy a person in their testimony, so on and so forth. But think about the disciples now, okay? Look at, it, look at how they're, they're understanding. They're leaning on their own understanding. Remember how our understanding looks? It's unstable. 
So they get in the boat, they're out in the middle of the water, and they realize, they get looking around. Peter, didn't you bring extra bread? No, I thought you did. James, no, I, I, I thought Timothy, I mean, I thought uh, uh, Thaddeus had it. No, and they get to realizing nobody brought extra bread. There's only one loaf. There's 13 people on this boat and only one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? And then when Jesus says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, speaking about their hypocrisy, they think in their own understanding, because there's yeast in bread, he's mad because we didn't bring more bread. Idiot! Right? And Jesus, I, I almost, he just shakes his head. He shakes his head. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bre- bread? And then, he, and then he, he, he reminds them of what he did in the past. Amen? First of all, he says this, Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have eyes, having eyes, do you not see and ears do not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you did take up? And they said, probably with heads hung low, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up then? He said, they said, seven. He said to them, do you not yet understand? What was Jesus wanting from them? He wanted them to, here's what should have went down. Here's what Jesus thought they should have done. They look around, they've only got one loaf of bread, 13 people. Oh, well, I forgot to bring extra bread. Uh, well, it's no big deal. I mean, I mean, Jesus is here with us. He'll cover it. They watched him with their own eyes break bread and feed 5,000 people with two loaves of bread. By breaking it, he blessed it. And he broke it and he fed them. They handed the bread out. They did not read about this in the Inquirer. They didn't read about it in the Jerusalem Post. They watched him break it. They carried the baskets and fed all of the multitudes knowing it started with two loaves. And then when everybody was laying back on the, the, the side rubbing their bellies, oh, I'm stuffed. That's what it says. The Bible says they, were, they ate till they were full. Oh, no, disciples come around, you want some? No, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. So when everybody's done and they, they put all the baskets, 12 baskets of leftovers. What are we going to do? We don't have enough bread. Jesus is like, really? Where is your faith? He just wanted them to trust. He loved them. He was patient with them. But he was put out with them because they just couldn't fully trust him. That's what God has always wanted from his people. And that's what God wants from you today. We were talking in Sunday school, you know, this morning about, you know, uh, that we're not the same person. Yes, we, we, we change and we you know, we don't live the same way. I mean, we're transforming and there's things that we, sh- we didn't as old sinners that we shouldn't do now. And we get that. But the bottom line is this. It's not, it's not a matter of us trying to figure out how not to do it. We get ourselves all frustrated thinking, oh, I, I, I have to do this or I can't do this. And we, we make ourselves nuts. And God said, no, I want you to bring your weaknesses, bring your sins, bring your temptations to me and trust me to help you overcome those things. You, you aren't, let me just tell you this, you're no match for temptation. I'm not. You can't conquer sin by doing better or this and that, not doing this and that. You cannot do it. It has to come from a trust in God. Amen? That He will change me day 
by day by day. You keep serving God, I promise, you will not be the same person 10 years from now. You just won't. Little by little, you see changes taking place, and God says, all I want from you. Trust me to take the reins. The bread of life was in the boat, right? They missed that. They had a loaf, but the bread of life, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life that comes down from from the Father. He who partakes of me shall never die, right? In the fourth chapter of James, chapter 13, or chapter 4, verse 13, says, "Come, come now you who say, and this is how we have a tendency to think and pray and make our own plans, leaning on our own understanding about what we believe the future will hold for us. He said, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, so far so good. I mean, that's just life, right? That's what we do. We, we make a living. We earn money. And he says, so for the most part, people say, okay, well, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go do this and Today I'll do this and, you know, my plan for a year from now and my job is to be here or my plan for five years in, uh, you know, our family or my home or what, where I want to live. My, my plan is this and so that's what I'm working towards and that's natural, it's normal and, and it's good to do those types of things but, but with this light, because he goes on to say this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So we're leaning on our own understanding as to what our future plans will be but we don't know what our future will be. He says, so you... Um, You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Isn't that true? Whether you live to be 100 years old, it comes and it goes like that. Instead, he said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What's the key phrase in that prayer? If the Lord wills. It's not a matter of I'm going to, I'm going to. It's a matter of saying, God, here I am. And you direct my paths. My understanding is way too limited. A lack of trust in God ultimately, according to Scripture, is arrogance. It's assuming that we can trust ourselves more than we can trust God. Can I, can I be so bold as to tell you this morning that you can't trust yourself? You just can't. I know you think that you have your best interest in heart, but you don't. None of us do. Our hearts are wicked and evil, according to the Scripture. So we can't, yeah, we can't trust in ourselves. To trust in myself is idolatry, right? It's to trust in something other than God. And Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts his own mind is a fool. Putting trust in anything but God is idolatry and actually ends up hurting the heart of God. It was the downfall of a lot of kings. If you read through, let me tell you something. If you like, if you like uh, action packed stories or movies or whatever, read through Kings and Chronicles. It'll hold your attention. There's a lot of war in those books, but you get a a great understanding of the nature of people and the nature of God when you read through Kings and Chronicles. Because you can look at it and say, well, Kings, it's about a bunch of old Jewish kings from, you know, thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me? The Bible says that everything written in those days were written as an example for us, right? I mean, I go through the same experiences, but I learn how God reacted when people did things God's way. When people trusted God, this is how God responded. When people didn't trust God, this is how God responded, okay? And so, obviously, I can't go through all of them, but I just want to 
just, just to hit a few. First of all, in, uh, you don't have to turn to any of these because I'm going to read them quick. But in Isaiah 31.1, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So there was an issue in the, with a lot of the kings of Israel when they would have an army, an enemy coming against them, they would automatically start thinking of other countries that had big armies that they could rely on. Oh man, that army that's coming against us is too big. We can never defeat them on our own. So let's go over to this godless, idol-worshiping nation that don't care anything about God. Let's go over and make an alliance with them and we'll get them to help us. They've got a lot of chariots and horses and soldiers so that we'll, feel we'll be safe if we have these countries on our side. And God took offense to that. God said, why are you going to these people who don't even believe in me for help? Why is it that you haven't trusted in me? Those kings that went to Egypt and all these other nations, God said, fine, if you're going to trust in man then let man be who you trust in. Let man take care of you. And do you know what happened? Every single time a king did not trust God and trusted in man, they lost everything. They were conquered by that army that came in. They always lost when they didn't trust God. In fact, the scripture says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Today it may be something like this. That if, well, he might say something like this, woe to those who go to psychics, who go to college professors and theologians and financial advisors and even doctors and politicians instead of going to the Lord. Nothing wrong with going to the doctor, but I think we should go to Jesus first. Amen? God uses doctors. I'm not knocking doctors, but God, ultimately, God should be our trust. Should never go to a psychic, by the way. Never. But woe to those, woe to those who go to any man rather than going to God to direct their path. History has repeated itself over and over. It never would. Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord, Curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. What happens to a shrub in the desert? It dries up. He shall see no good ever come in his life if he's trusting in man rather than trusting in God. God honored, on the other hand, God honored those kings who did trust him. Um, David was one of the greatest kings, and he, he said this, Some will trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of our God. God blessed David. Why? Because David trusted God. If you turn back, I do want to talk real quickly about a couple of these, just very shortly. In 2 Kings chapter 18, I'll give you a start into your uh, Kings reading here. You're going to be so intrigued, but by the end of the week, you'll have read Kings and Chronicles both. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 talks about a, uh, a king by the name of Hezekiah. It says, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to, to reign. That's pretty young. Young people, it's never too young to learn to start trusting in God. If you learn to start trusting in God completely with your life now, it'll be easier to trust God later, I assure you that. 29 years he ruled in Jerusalem, down to verse 3. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. 
He removed the high places, meaning the places where idols were worshipped and things of that nature. He broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until then, until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those that were before him. What was the key ingredient that caused, uh, to cause there to be none like him? He trusted God. He held fast to the Lord. Look at this. He did not part from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And this is the biggie. The Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. The Lord was with him, and everywhere he went, he prospered. Why? He was trusting in Almighty God. If you read on through there, you find that Hezekiah faced an enemy that came against him, uh, Sennacherib, had came against uh, Israel and was vaunting all of these threats. And here's basically what the threat says. We're going to whoop you, right? And you can't stop me, your armies can't stop me, and your God can't stop me. We've conquered all these other nations. They were trusting in their gods, but we still conquered them. So your God is no different. What he didn't know is that their God was much different. Amen? And so we're going to conquer you. And he sends this letter. I'm boiling this down. You've got to read the whole story. But he sends this letter, Sennacherib, the bad guy, sends this letter to King Hezekiah, who was putting his trust in God. And this letter says, we're coming to take you over. Hezekiah goes and he lays that, I talked about this just a little bit last week, he lays that letter down on the altar. He gets down on his knees and he just simply says, God, this is true. We can't defend ourselves against this guy. It's as bigger than we are. But God, I have always put my trust in you and you've always been faithful. So God, I trust you to get us out of this jam. I trust you to protect us against this enemy. And God says, oh, that's just, that is music to my ear. That's just what I wanted to hear. And God came through and delivered Israel in such a miraculous and a mighty way. In the end, Sennacherib, long story short, you've got to read it. I'm going to leave you on a cliff, cliffhanger. So you'll, you'll just have to go back and read this whole story. But in the, in the end... God literally turns Sennacherib around in an an amazing turn of events, turns him around uh, from coming and attacking Israel, and Sennacherib's own sons assassinate him. Why? What was it? All because Hezekiah decided he was just going to place his trust completely in God. He didn't have to raise a sword. Jehoshaphat was another one I want to talk about really quickly. If you turn, hang a... Let's see, hang a left or hang a right and go to 2 Chronicles. Hang on, I'll be there in just a second. Let's root something down wrong. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's look at this king real quick. Verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in whatever the name of that place is. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, 
proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, this was his prayer, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. In other words, you're trustworthy. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in the house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, behold the, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us. Look at this. Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Okay, God. Odds are stacked against us. We admit we don't know what to do. They can whip us. They got us outnumbered. But we know that you are greater than all of our enemies. And if you go down and read that further, he says this. Lord, we understand and believe and trust that you're going to win this battle for us because this battle is not ours. This battle is yours. So when you read all of that and it all unfolds, God promises Jehoshaphat, look, you're going to be protected. I'm going to take care of you. Okay? And so here's how it went down when you read that story. God literally moves. He said, first of all, he said, go ahead and go on down to battle, but just have church. I mean, literally, they went down there. They, they, they didn't break out, break out their swords and cannons and machine guns, right? They got their guitars and their drums and their pen, and they started, they started playing music. Read it. I'm, I'm being serious. Okay, they, they probably didn't have, you know, drums, but uh, some sort of drum. But they, they just started having church and just started praising God. And the Bible says that God moved across the enemy and literally the enemies started fighting against one another and they just all killed themselves. Israel never fought the battle. They trusted God and God did the miraculous for them. In fact, when you read on through that just a little bit more, the Bible says that there was so much spoils, riches and stuff left over, it took Israel three days to get all of the loot out of there. And as they're bringing all of this loot, I mean, they're walking in and they get over the hill and there's a bunch of dead bodies. So they go over there and they're picking up this guy's, you know, this guy had a coin bag and, oh, well, look at there, there's an iPhone X, that's worth $700. And, you know, they're, just, they're picking up all of these treasures and they're, three days it takes them to bring all of the loot uh, back home and as they're going home, they're rejoicing. The Bible says there's, there's this joy and there's this peace. Why? Because they're trusting in God. Jehoshaphat is excited of people... He's jumping, he's praising God, and he's all excited. And do you know what that made him? A jumping Jehoshaphat. I could not resist. I could not resist. Could not resist. <laughs> Anyhow, he learned, he learned what the benefit of trusting God is, and God was faithful. Amen? I'm going to just share this with you real quick. First of all, can you understand this morning? We're, my point in bringing all this out, is to show us is that we will never be, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants peace. I don't care who you are. That's what we want. And we'll never be happier 
and more at peace than when we learn to completely, fully, and completely trust in God. Amen? I have to learn how to do this. I long for this kind of a life. I'm desperate to learn how to do this. Amen? How many of you going to learn it with me? Just to show you what the scripture says throughout, I'm going to read four verses. Psalm 6, you don't, don't turn now, I'm going to read them real quickly. Psalm 6, 2, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He's a place to hide. Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You can lean on him and he will not fail you. Psalm 125, 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Isaiah 22 and, or excuse me, 12 and 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Psalm, finally, one, Psalm 112, 6 and 7. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. What did we say trust was? It's a firm belief that we can rely on God and that He'll never fail us. He said, I'm not going to be fearful of bad news. Plenty of that around today, right? Plenty of bad news. And when we get to listening to all that, we begin to think, oh, well, I need to do this, I need to do that to prepare, and blah, blah. And God says, look, I, I don't want my people to be afraid. Even when you hear bad news, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean or trust on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Amen? Trust is a must. You've got to learn to do it. Stand with me this morning, please. Or jump, 